0: Hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja and this time I'm going to be looking at the Arctic. We're taking a trip to the North Pole, well not quite the North Pole actually, we're going to take a trip to the part of the Arctic that's called the tundra. So and this is where we find something called permafrost, in other words completely frozen uh, ground surface, completely frozen soil and we're asking you know what is it important, what is important about the permafrost and um, this is somewhere it was featured actually in National Geographic magazine September 2019 and I'm just going to read you a couple of sentences from that it says across nine million square miles at the top of the planet climate change is writing a new chapter arctic permafrost isn't thawing gradually as scientists once predicted geologically speaking it's thawing almost overnight So that's what the National Geographic had to say um, about a year ago. Um, So what I wanted to do in this podcast is really just explore what permafrost actually is. um, Think about the type of locations that we find permafrost in. And then we're going to look at three reasons why permafrost is actually really important. So we're going to be looking at things like, you know, what are the local issues in the Arctic? Would um, would we'll, we'll take a, a look at the the whole theme of disease, very topical for twenty twenty. I'm sure you'll agree. And then we're going to think about climate change. So really, you know the global impacts uh, of permafrost. All right. Well, being a geography podcast, we'd, I think we better start off just with thinking about where permafrost is found on the surface of the planet so if you've got a you've got a good sense of what the world looks like if you've got a, a map uh, an atlas or a, a, um, a globe in front of you um we're really focusing on the northern hemisphere and um this is some according to the nrdc the natural resources defense council um operating out of the usa uh what they say is a quarter about a quarter of the entire northern hemisphere is permafrost where the ground is frozen year round um w- the the type of locations we're we're um concerned with here are arctic regions so places like siberia greenland alaska maybe northern parts of scandinavia certainly northern canada um And so some of these places, uh, well, Alaska, for example, um, approximately 85 percent of Alaska is sitting on top of permafrost. So we've got a a really huge area of landmass in the northern hemisphere where permafrost exists. Now the the technical geographical term for these areas where permafrost exists is periglacial. We call it periglacial. In other words, it's it's sort of on the edge of where you've got permanent ice cover. So you've got to go further north really in the Arctic, much closer to the North Pole, before you, you find those those ice sheets or you know, polar desert glacial areas. Now I'm speaking to you uh, from southern England, actually, if um, if I went back in, in a time machine to 18,000 years ago or so, so still within the last ice age, um, most of the northern half of, of Britain would have been covered in an ice sheet, but the, the southern half would have been uh, periglacial. In other words, it would be tundra, and the ground would be permanently frozen, in other words, Permafrost. Now, as we've moved out of the ice age, you know, over the last twelve thousand years or so, um the ice has has retreated, permafrost has has thawed out and retreated. But you know, it's clearly still a really large proportion of the northern hemisphere is um is permafrost. So if we're we're trying to think, well what you know, permafrost could be rock actually as well it's not necessarily just soil but it's you know the main things are it's it's almost permanently frozen um and it can be really very very deep so you know depth of four to five hundred meters of permafrost is is pretty common certainly in some places it, it might reach up to three times that type of of depth and usually how permafrost works is it has what they call an active layer so the the the, the top section of the permafrost so we might just be talking of you know um a few centimeters or you know a, a couple of meters or so but you might have an area right at the very top of that profile um which thaws out so every spring and summer you know the seasons change the temperature you get more sunlight hitting the ground surface, that top layer, known as the active layer, will thaw out. So in in the Arctic, areas of permafrost, or the, the, the tundra, in other words, do have plants growing on them, usually small plants like mosses and lichens and so on. But that's because the active layer, that thaws out Every spring and summer, now below that that's where we've got the permafrost. This is where it's it remains frozen, so even at the height of the Arctic summer, this ground is going to remain frozen um so and it's been frozen for a long, long time, so certainly you know during during the last ice age or maybe shortly after the last ice age, we are talking of at least about ten to twelve thousand years but probably in most cases more than that uh, that that's been frozen now so you might be thinking well why so why is the permafrost important well it's it's really a store the permafrost is a store and it has been for all these thousands of years um just going back to that national geographic article um (laughs) the article has um a a siberian ecologist sergey zimov uh who who is there looking at woolly mammoth bones is looking at bison jaws um horse femurs as well as plant material now all this stuff has been accumulated since the ice age um and it provides you know for an ecologist uh it provides a fascinating record of you know what was what was there what what life was there during the ice age so this stuff really well preserved in the ice. And re- really what we're looking at with permafrost, it is, it's is—it's a store of carbon. It's organic material that has been frozen. It's par- partially degraded, but it's frozen. Um, and it's a carbon store. It's one of the biggest carbon stores on the planet. So, you know, where where we're going with this is thinking, well, okay, what's the impact then on climate change if this permafrost starts to thaw out well it, it is thawing out it's not not we're not talking about it in some sort of future tense we're talking about it thawing out now so uh obviously if you go to siberia it's one good place you can go if you if you want to pick up some mammoth bones and you know every year you you find stories in the news about um almost perfectly pre- preserved uh, mammoths mammoth bodies Mammoth fur, mammoth DNA—you know that that is is discovered in this thawing permafrost. Okay, so we've got we've got three things really, well, probably more than that. Three things that I'm going to talk about going on that I think means permafrost is particularly important. Um, and the the one I'll, I'll start off with is is disease. It's um, you know melting permafrost and disease. What what is the link? between those two, th- two things. Now, you know, I'm talking to you in September 2020, um, we've had a good six months plus of uh, COVID-19 uh, affecting every aspect of our lives. The- with the permafrost, because it is, it is permanently frozen um, soil, it is, it's seen as, as an ideal place for bacteria and viruses um, to, to remain alive for potentially very long periods of time, perhaps up to millions of years there. So with the, the thawing out of frozen soils, um, you've got the, the opportunity for, for ancient bacteria and viruses to be released uh, back into the environment. So what does that mean? Well, what that could mean is that the thawing out of the permafrost is is a potential uh, new source of diseases that have been that have been locked away um, in the Arctic for, for potentially thousands of years. Um, so you know we've got this idea that that pathogens, uh, pathogenic viruses, um, can be preserved in layers of permafrost. Um, It's actually, you know, permafrost, it preserves things really well. Uh, Microbes, viruses and so on. You know, it's cold, it's dark, there's no oxygen. It's ideal conditions in many ways um, to preserve these things. Just to give you a few examples, um, scientists have found uh, fragments of uh, the 1918 Spanish flu virus uh, in and now this is in in mass graves in the tundra in Alaska, so in human corpses that have been buried there for over a hundred years um, they still contain actually rna uh, ribonucleic acid part of, you know part of the the genetic makeup uh, within within corpses so it 's it 's still there smallpox and bubonic plague. Um, the chances are that that exists in places such as siberia buried in the um, in the permafrost uh, there was an outbreak of uh, of smallpox back in the 1890s in siberia so these things have periodically re uh, reemerged um, so it's uh you know this clearly this is a big issue uh where new viruses may come from, or where old viruses that we thought we'd eradicated could potentially reemerge as the permafrost starts to um, starts to recede what's next? what's next what's next what's next what's next what's next okay well, next then uh, we're thinking about the the issues to do with thawing out the permafrost that really just affect the Arctic, you know, those more localized issues, and um, one thing that caught my attention. This is uh, was a couple of years ago, actually. Now it uh, was on NPR, uh, the National Public Radio in the U.S., and it was it was a story about. It was actually titled "Cemeteries Turn to Swamps as Alaska's Permafrost Melts." So. Uh, you know, which is a, a pretty her- horrendous uh, thing to to try and imagine. But with permafrost being really very, very solid, once it starts to, to thaw out, it gives way to all sorts of changes to the land surface, whether it's, you know, um, meaning that buildings subside and the foundations of the buildings start to give way or... Um, coastal areas start to erode much more quickly. Um, or, you know, trees end up tilting over because the ground surface beneath them starts to give way. You know, all of these sort of things uh, at the moment are affecting places in in the tundra, in locations such as Alaska um, and, and northern Canada. Now, the other phenomenon that's starting to happen here in the Arctic is that of the climate refugee? Now you know when I first heard the term climate refugee, um, I, I was really thinking of people from uh, you know low-lying islands in the in the Pacific or the Indian Oceans that would have to, have to relocate because of rising sea levels. Actually, what is what is also uh, very very pressing are climate refugees in areas of of permafrost. Now I remember. It was actually back in 2013. I read an article in the UK's Guardian newspaper about the Alaskan village of Newtok. Um, now, this is um, this is a, a Yupik village um, of about 380 people. It's near the Bering Sea. Um, and this village actually has now been completely relocated. Back in 2013... The uh, the writer was was really saying, look, you know, the because of thawing out permafrost, uh, coastal erosion is really is ripping into this village, and there's going to be nothing left in a few years. It just won't be viable for people to live in it anymore. It's predicted actually that by twenty seventeen, uh, the village might disappear. Now that did finally happen towards the end of twenty nineteen. Um, it, it's been it's now been completely uh, relocated. So you know, there's a very good chance that the the residents of uh, Newtok in Alaska are are possibly some of uh, the USA's earliest climate change refugees. Um, so and these you know this is area, these are areas that have been that have been settled for 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 for, for generations that have just become completely uninhabitable because of the changing landscape as permafrost is thawing out so you know the arctic is is warming up at a much more rapid rate than other parts of the planet because there are there are sort of mechanisms climate mechanisms that are accelerating the rate of of warming so that's really the 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 next one we're going to look at clearly if you live in somewhere like uh, Alaska, like Newtok in Alaska, or parts of Siberia, you know, you might notice some of these changes to landscapes. You'll certainly notice the change to the the thawing out of permafrost and maybe the emergence of, uh, you know, much less stable land surfaces. But on a global level, you know, we've said before the permafrost contains huge amounts of carbon from you know tens of thousands of years ago. So, what what does that mean? For the climate, okay, well, if we just have a think about the the carbon cycle now I did a, a podcast on the carbon cycle a little while ago, and the what we often talk about there is the idea that you've got a you've got a carbon store you've got somewhere where, where carbon is 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 kept for a certain period of time before it moves on, it transfers to a different type of store. Um, permafrost and soil you know soil is definitely a carbon store permafrost is frozen soil so it's, it's stored for even longer because it's, it's frozen for a long time um, we can also think about carbon sources and carbon sinks so a carbon sink is where carbon gets locked away for a long time a carbon source is somewhere that is is emitting uh, carbon into the atmosphere now with The permafrost, and this is again, this is from National Geographic of September, twenty nineteen. It reported that current research is is thinking that for every one degree Celsius that the Earth's average temperature increases by, um, permafrost may release uh, something like about between four and six years worth of coal, oil, and natural gas. Emissions, so just let that sink in that's a huge amount, isn't it? So double to triple really what research just even just a few years ago was thinking so you know the 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 big concern with that is that with within the next few decades if we don't if we don't get to grips with fossil fuel emissions, actually the permafrost release of carbon from the permafrost could be at least as big a source of uh, greenhouse gases as somewhere such as China um, is in 2020. So in other words, instead of being a carbon sink, the permafrost turns into a carbon source. Okay, well, even worse than that, um, the, the the gases that are contained carbon sort of compounds and gases that are contained in the permafrost, as well as CO2, carbon dioxide, uh, you got methane. Um, now, methane is actually, is thought to be 84 times more powerful as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It, um, I mean, thankfully, it doesn't last as long in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, but it is certainly more, more powerful. Um, the other gas that is found in permafrost is nitrous oxide, uh, which is thought to be up to three hundred times more powerful than co two so you 've got all of these potential greenhouse gases lurking in the permafrost, just waiting to be to be released all right now, the final thing then i 'm going to mention on here relating to the importance of the permafrost is that you've got what what geographers and climate scientists call a positive feedback loop in operation in the arctic now a positive feedback loop what that means is it's where something really it's it's an, a change that accelerates it becomes a sort of um a, a, a sort of self um intensifying change uh, that it, that is happening um, for, as as a, as, a, as as climate state changes from one um, form to another. So, for example, with with the the Arctic, we've actually got some quite high uh, temperature increases go going on in the Arctic. Now, part of this is driven by the fact that you've got some positive feedback loops happening there. And I'll give you give you the, the example here of the permafrost. So as the, the air temperature warms up because we've we've generally got global warming going going on what that does to the permafrost is it it helps it start to thaw out as we've as we've discussed as the permafrost thaws out uh, all of this organic material that's been locked away in the permafrost for a long long time <clears throat> starts to thaw out and it starts to to decay you know so it's been fr- it's been frozen plant material, animal material has been frozen. As it warms up, it starts to, to go through the decomposition process. Now, as that happens, as it starts to decay, as it starts to decompose, what it releases is carbon dioxide, sometimes uh, you know, methane, other greenhouse gases as well. What then happens is that carbon gets released from the ground surface, where the permafrost is, it gets released into the atmosphere. You have an increased amount of carbon dioxide and methane and so on in the atmosphere. Uh, And they're both powerful greenhouse gases. So what that means is global warming is accelerated. More greenhouse gases mean more global warming. That means more thawing of the permafrost, which means more release of... Um, greenhouse gases so it's this vicious circle a, a positive feed that's a positive feedback loop where there's there's an accelerated type of change going on you know really for for since the last ice age up until just the last what 150 200 years or so we've had a very very stable climate really what we might call negative feedback loops it's in equilibrium it's not really shifted very very much at all there might have been you know the, a few sort of natural fluctuations. But generally speaking, it's been incredibly stable for a long, long time. Um, what's happening now is we've got the the element of the, the positive feedback loop, uh, at which point really um, it becomes a bit unmanageable. I'm not sure, how, you know, what humans can do to try and change that once a positive feedback loop, like the thawing of the permafrost, once that kicks in fully, um, you're you're a bit limited in what you can do. All right, well, I think it's time to finish. Um, hopefully you'll agree that for geographers, there's a ton of stuff there to look at as far as the permafrost is concerned. It brings together so many uh, really fascinating issues for geographers to find out about. So I hope you found that that interesting. You know, the whole climate change, you've got population migration g- going on there, you've got ecosystems, you've got biomes, you've got a bit of geomorphology, um in there you know so there's there's a there's a ton of stuff um for us geographers to get our teeth into anyway i'm going to finish off there good to speak to you and um yeah see you soon bye for now